0: may be seated please. Today's New Testament scripture is a reading from the Gospel of Saint Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 to 48 which may be found at page 1030 of your pew Bibles. But first let me call upon the Holy Spirit for guidance. Please bow your head. Lord open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit That as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 to 48. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. as your heavenly Father is perfect. May God bless this reading of his holy word to our understanding. Thank you, Doug. It's great to be back. Uh, Last
1: Sunday, I was actually in Montemorelos, Mexico on a mission trip with some ophthalmologists from our community, uh, Dr. Avery Rush and Dr. Ryan Rush, if you all know them. They have a wonderful practice. There's a picture of our team there. Uh, we went there to help do some eye surgeries. The Many Mexicans have horrible cataracts. The cataracts are so bad that they can't actually see. And so w- they do some cataract surgeries. And while they're in the pre-op room, which I would call the anxious bench, while they're sitting there on the anxious bench, I will talk with them and share the good news of God's love with them and pray for them, offer words of Comfort to them. Uh, by God's grace, our medical team uh, was able to see over 200 patients. And there were three American pastors uh, like myself who were serving as evangelists, sharing the good news of God's love. Actually, um, you may know John Kohler. He's the Bible chair at Amarillo College. He was one of the others. And most of these patients in Mexico are Roman Catholic. They grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, however, as I spoke to each one of them and asked them if they went to church, they said, no, I, I can't even see to go to church. I can't even see to go to work. And so I would share with them, as those who are really nominal Catholic, then I would say, well, tell me, you know, has anyone ever taken you through the Bible and shown you how you could be assured of eternal life? I use this little tract here that says, me una pregunta. may I ask you a question? And most of them said, no, no one's ever taken me through the Bible to show me how I could be assured of eternal life. And so, said, well, the Bible has some good news in it and it has some bad news. The bad news, actually, we find in Romans 3.23, and Romanos tres benti which I could read to you in Spanish, but I'll go ahead and say it in English. Uh, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I pointed out that I am a sinner, and my friends are sinners, and we're all sinners in need of, of God's grace. And the bad news gets a little worse, because in Romans 6.23, uh, we read that the wages of sin is death, that my sin deserves to be punished. But the Buenas Noticias, the good news of the scriptures, the good news of Jesus Christ is found in Romans 5, verse 8, which I quote here almost every Sunday. It says that God demonstrates his great love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then I would say to them, un regalo ti, a gift for you. And then I'd say, tu necesitas recibir el regalo para tener regalo. You have to receive the gift in order to have the gift. And we receive the great gift of God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he came to bring simply through faith. Solo faith, not by works. And then I would turn to Ephesians two eight nine, 8, 9, Ephesios 2, 8, 9, and I would read to them, which again in English says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We receive the great gift God has given us, the gift of eternal life, the gift of a new life that we find in Jesus Christ simply by having faith in him. And then I would ask him, is there anything preventing you from trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? And to a person, every one of them shook their head, said, no, there's nothing preventing me. I said, would you like to pray to receive Christ? Would you like to put your faith in Christ today? Of course, they're on the anxious bench, right? They're about to go into surgery, a little nervous and very receptive. They say, yeah, I'd like to do that right now. And so I would pray with them to receive Christ. It was amazing. By God's grace, I was actually able to pray with over 80 people to receive Christ in just three days. And as they would leave the operation room, I would give them a Bible, Nuevo Testamento, a New Testament. And I would say, in a, in, tomorrow morning, we're going to take this patch off your eye, and you're going to be able to see again. And as you can see, now you can read God's word again. And your life will be forever changed you want to grow in your faith, you've got to read his word, you've got to pray. So I want to give this to you as a gift, so that you might read God's word and and learn what it means to follow Jesus more closely. Well, there was one afternoon, it was kind of funny, um, David, uh, a pastor from Indiana, and I had actually spoken to the entire room. I would take a group of three or four and share the gospel with them, and and he would take a group of three or four, and, and, and within an hour, we had Prayed with the entire room in the preop to to come and receive Christ. It was amazing. And and I was a little tired, and so was he. And so we got some water just to kind of refresh our throats and and kind of uh, recuperate. And then John Kohler, the Bible chair from Emerald College, walks in. And and, and he he didn't know the situation, but boy, he was eager to preach the gospel. And so he starts preaching to this whole room that had already received Christ. And and I thought about telling him that they've already prayed, but I thought, well, you know, he's excited. I don't want to put a wet blanket on his excitement there. And so he starts preaching. He begins to tell the story of Bartimaeus, the blind man that Jesus heals and the Gospel of Mark, right? And he's preaching with all of his heart and soul and you can just tell he's, he's into it and he's going and, and finally he gets to the point of decision and he says, now just so he can get a sense of who knows Christ and who doesn't he says, please raise your hand if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the whole room raised their hand <laughs> David and I started laughing Say, hey buddy, you're just a little late to the party on this one <laughs> but I was grateful that they had recognized the commitment they made and one of the Mexicans said to John, yes, these two Americans just told us about Jesus. We prayed to receive him. It was awesome to see how receptive they were to the gospel of grace that we preach every morning. And then uh, as I was talking to these different patients after they had prayed, I, I talked to this one woman, Maria. And I asked Maria, I said, Maria, what is it gonna mean to you to be able to have sight again, to be able to see again? What's that gonna mean to you? And with tears in her eyes, she says, it means I'm going to be able to read God's word again, so that I might know more of who God is and who God wants me to be. In gratitude for God's amazing grace, let's turn to God's word so that we might learn more of who God is and who, who God's calling us to be this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to Numbers chapter 13. It's, it may be found on page 154, Numbers chapter 13, beginning at verse 25. But before I read God's word, let's, let's call upon his spirit again to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. God, I'm so grateful that these last, this last week I was able to pray, and so was John and David, to pray with so many people who made a heartfelt commitment to you. And Lord, I thank you that as we share with them, that as we read your word, we grow in our faith. We learn more of who you are and, and who you're calling us to be. And so God, I pray that we as a congregation at 1100 South Harrison in Amarillo, Texas, as we read your word this morning, give us eyes to see. And give us ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. In the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. Be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Numbers chapter 13 beginning at verse 25. It may be found on page 154 of your Red Pew Bible. Page 154. Listen to the word of the Lord. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. People who dwell in land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy, for we are well able to overcome it. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to be back and go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nab, Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunim, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses Said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice None of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea." Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Moses prays please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Can you believe that? Can you believe Moses is praying for the people of Israel who are just about to stone him? I mean, they just picked up stones to stone Moses. And we read earlier that when the report came, they decided, hey, let's go back to Egypt. Let's get a new leader and head back to Egypt. They have rejected Moses' leadership and they've chosen to stone him, to kill him. And yet, Moses prays for the people that God might pardon them. Moses prays for the people who have been grumbling against him ever since they left Egypt. In Exodus chapter 14, the people of Israel grumble against Moses when they get to the shore of the Red Sea and they see Pharaoh's army coming. In the very next chapter, in Exodus chapter 15, the Israelites grumbled against Moses at Merah because the water was bitter. In Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites grumbled against Moses when they didn't have the right food to eat, and they didn't get enough food to eat. And then in Exodus chapter 17, the very next chapter, the Israelites grumbled again against Moses when they didn't have any water to drink. And in Numbers 11, the Israelites grumbled against Moses at Tabra. Now in Numbers 13 to 14, the Israelites are grumbling against Moses because the people in the promised land are too tall and their cities seem to be too fortified for them to overcome them. Even though God has promised them that land, even though their descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were promised that land and they're buried in that very land, they're too afraid. And so they grumble and grumble against Moses. Grumble, grumble, grumble. That's all the Israelites seem to do. Reminds me of the story of the monk who uh, joined a monastery and had to take a vow of silence. And so he took this vow of silence and after 10 years, he was finally able to speak a word to give what his thoughts were to to his superior. And and so he only said two words. He said, food, bad. Well, he had another 10 years to be silent, uh, to think and meditate on what God might have to say to him. And he came back to his superior and said, Bed hard. Well, he gave him another 10 years to meditate and think about all that is happening in this monastery. And finally, 10 years later, he comes back and he says, I quit. Which the superior says, well, it doesn't shock me. All you've done is grumble since you got here. (laughs) Grumble, grumble. Moses has been enduring the grumbling of the Israelites ever since they left Egypt. And in verse 4 of chapter 14, the people say, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The people of Israel have rejected the godly leadership of Moses, even though God used Moses to lead them out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, into the Promised Land. And yet they continue to grumble against Moses. The people of Israel are constantly grumbling against Moses. And in verse 10, we are told, that they're ready to stone Moses and Joshua and Aaron and Caleb. Can you believe that Moses was still praying for the very people who were about to stone him? I mean, what would motivate Moses to pray for people who were just about to kill him? I mean, sure, the Sermon on the Mount that Doug read just a moment ago, where Jesus says, you know, we're supposed to pray for enemies, and pray for those who persecute us. Sure, that's what it says, but but Moses lived thousands of years before Jesus what would compel Moses to pray for his enemies to pray for the people who were just about to persecute him who were about to stone him who were about to kill him who had already rejected his leadership what would compel Moses what would compel any of us to pray for those who persecute us who hurt us who've gossiped against us perhaps slandered against us hurt us emotionally verbally or even perhaps physically what would compel Moses to pray? Well, as Christians, we have the Sermon on the Mount and we read the words of Jesus and it's real clear that Jesus says you're supposed to, to uh, you know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and if Jesus says it, we're supposed to do it, right? That's, that's simple. But Moses lived thousands of years before Jesus. I mean, if we were Moses, we might have been a little bit tempted to to go with God's original plan. If you remember in Numbers 14, God says to him, yeah, you you know what, Uh, I'm going to wipe these people out, because they keep grumbling, I'm going to wipe them out with a pestilence. We might have been a little bit tempted to say, yeah, God, you're right, the people are about to stone me, they've been grumbling ever since we left Egypt, why don't you wipe them out with a pestilence, and we'll replace them, and we'll start all over. I, I would have been tempted to do that. But that's not what Moses does. Moses prays, as you can see there on the wall, verse 19, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. What would compel Moses to pray for the people who are about to stone him? What should compel any of us to pray for those who hurt us, who have persecuted us? Who have caused us harm and who are wanting to cause harm. Let's look closely at all of Moses' prayer that we find in Exodus 14, starting at verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you will kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the land of the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. According to this prayer, Moses' primary concern is with the reputation of God. Moses says, if you wipe out these people, what will the Egyptians say about you? What will the other nations say about you? Moses is focused on the glory of God. He wants to make sure that no matter what happens, God is ultimately glorified. Do we have that same focus today? Are we focused on the glory of God, doing what we can to bring glory and honor to God? Or do we tend to focus on ourselves? our own self-preservation, our own self-exaltation. As I read through the story, the grand narrative of Scripture, as I read specifically uh, chapter 6 called Wandering that we've been going through and read the story of the Exodus again, it's clear to me that when we focus on ourselves, we tend to grumble. But when we focus on God, we tend to praise Let me say that again. When we focus on ourselves and our own problems and our own concerns and our own wants and our own needs and our own desires, we tend to grumble like the Israelites grumbled. But when we focus on God and what God's been doing in our lives and how God has provided for us and how God is leading us, we tend to praise. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb They were focused on God, not on the height of the people in in the promised land. They were focused on God and how God had delivered them previously from Pharaoh, who had the most powerful army in the ancient world. And they thought to themselves, if God did that for us, then surely God can deliver us and lead us into this promised land that he has offered to us. They knew that God had delivered them in the past. Every morning they woke up to to manna to eat, bread from heaven, and they knew that God was providing for them, that when they were thirsty, God had provided water for them. They knew that God was with them, leading them. Their eyes were focused on God and not on their problems. It was because he was focused on God and God's provision and God's deliverance that Moses loved the Lord so much and in Moses' great love for God, he wanted to make sure that no matter what happened, God would be glorified. That God's name would be revered and, and lifted up. In fact, when I think about the Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday here in the sanctuary, our Father, who art in him, hallowed be thy name. The, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be thy name. I don't think that's an accident. I believe that's what God wants us to do first and foremost, is we want his name to be lifted up, glorified, hallowed, made holy, celebrated out of gratitude. For God, all that God has done for us. He says, Moses looked at God, he saw how God had delivered them. And as we look at God today, we can see how much God has delivered us. For while we were sinners, fallen and broken people, God didn't abandon us in our sin. No, he sent his son, born as a baby, in a manger, a whole lowly, humble manger. And then he lived in perfect obedience to our heavenly father. And as I shared with the Mexicans in Monte Morelos, even though we're sinners, God demonstrated his great love. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might be delivered from sin, so that we might be delivered from death and have the gift of eternal life, the gift of a new life, if we simply believe in him. It's as I read the story of the Exodus. It's real clear to me that Moses isn't really motivated by a love for the Israelites, I mean, they're grumbling against him all the time. At one point, Moses says, I would rather just die. Just go ahead and kill me, God, than have to keep leading these people. Moses loves God so much that he's humbly willing to do what God asks of him. And he knows that if God wipes out these people, then all the people of the world will say and speak negatively about God's name. As Moses will explain later in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4-5, to the Shema, the most important commandment in all the Bible, he tells them that we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says that it's this, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. But it begins with loving God. Until we love God fully, we won't be able to love our neighbor well. But as we love God fully, then we begin to see our neighbor as God sees them. People who've been created in the very image of our mighty God. And we can begin to have compassion and love towards them. And we love God because he first loved us and sent his son to die for us. Yes, as we look at the prayer of Moses, we can see that Moses genuinely loved God. And so his chief concern was was God's name that it would be hallowed, revered, glorified. And we as Presbyterians know that That's the whole reason we're here. The whole purpose of life, as Rick Warren says in his book, Purpose Driven Life, he took it from us. It comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The answer to the book, I'll save you having to read it, is that the chief end of man, the reason we're here, let's read it together, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We didn't make it up either. We got it from Paul. He says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Moses had his eyes focused on God wanted to make sure that God was glorified no matter what happened. And so the next time we face challenges, the next time we face difficulties, the next time we become anxious, rather than focusing on our own selves and our own problems and and looking at the circumstances of our lives, let us, like Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, let us turn our eyes towards God. As we focus our eyes on God, we'll see how much God has already delivered us in his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will see that God's promises are true, that he has been with us, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Notice that in this prayer that Moses prays, he actually quotes the word of God. He quotes Exodus 34 in this prayer when he says that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression." As we pray to God, as we focus our hearts and minds on God, we turn to the word of God so that we might, like Moses, pray the word of God. As we pray the word of God, we'll ask ourselves, God, how might you be glorified in this situation? As Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28, for God works all things for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. How might God use this difficult situation for the glory of his name? After all, That's what life is all about, right? As followers of Jesus, our desire, our chief desire is to bring glory and honor to God. Please join him as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for Moses and his story and how we can read it today and be aware that our chief focus, like it was his, was to bring glory and honor to you. So God, even though we face difficult circumstances and we have challenging times here on this earth, Lord, I pray that you might help us like Moses, like Joshua, like Caleb, like Aaron. May we focus our hearts and minds on you. And may we be reminded as we read your word how often you have delivered us in the past and how we know your promises to be true and that you're a God who is with us and ultimately for us in Jesus Christ. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. O oh Lord, may our lives seek to bring glory to you in all that we say and do. Your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said.